Here you go. That's what the mute button was for. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, the scripture passage that we'll be looking at is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which coincides neatly with Thanksgiving. How cool is that? Say yes. That's pretty cool. I couldn't help but smile as I was preparing for the sermon because I was again reminded of the source of our provision, Jesus. This is such a wonderful truth to wake up to this morning. My mind was lingering on this passage the whole week. Indeed, we do not lack anything for his provision is so generous and so abundant, so satisfying. Amen. So most of you here, if not all, are already familiar with the scripture passage that we're going to dive in. I love teaching from this passage when I was serving in the children's ministry because this story doesn't lack any creative visual teaching ideas in any age group. In fact, we're going to be teaching this story in one of our ESL classes on October 24. So that's it. it's a very cool passage and it's great for any age group. Now, there are only two accounts in the Gospels that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One account, of course, that's repeated in all four is the account of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And the other account, believe it or not, is Jesus feeding the 5,000. And besides the four detailed accounts in each of these Gospels, um, uh, it is referred to on five other occasions, totaling to nine times it was referred to in all four of the Gospels. Now, John 21, 25 says, Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books uh, that would be written. Jesus did many other miracles that were not even recorded, and yet the retelling of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was chosen to be retold many times over, even if the many other things that Jesus did was not recorded. But this miracle had to be recorded many times over. There's something very significant about this one miracle. But I believe it's not just a miracle to benefit the crowds who were fed that day, but this was also a lesson for the disciples to deepen their understanding of who Jesus is. And what Jesus reveals about himself here is the key to what his mission is all about and how we're to go about fulfilling this. And today, we're invited to participate in that same missions as his disciples. So if you have your Bibles with you or your devices, please turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 11 to 17. If you're new to the Bible, you can use the Blue Pew Bibles. It's on 841. Um, or you can simply follow along on the PowerPoint on the screen, and I'll start from verse 10. You can say this with me, if you so please. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. 
Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray together. O gracious Heavenly Father, enable your people to know the depth of your care, abundant provision, and sufficiency for each one of us. Holy Spirit, cause our eyes to behold Jesus and cause our minds to understand what you want us to know from your word today. Deepen our understanding of how you've revealed yourself in this miracle that we may go about your mission with confidence with your power and with your authority. Amen. So the feeding of the 5,000 follows the account of Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on their first short-term missions, a short mission strip, and we saw that in Luke 9, verses 1 to 10. So Jesus gave the 12 disciples power and authority, not just any power, but delegated authority to preach, to proclaim about the kingdom of God, to heal, to cast out demons before he sent them on mission. So Pastor Andrew, in his sermon last Sunday, mentioned the significance of the number 12. There were 12 disciples and the repetition of the number 12 throughout the gospel of Luke such as Jairus' daughter who was 12 years old, and a woman who was bleeding. She bled for 12 years. So there's a lot of a repetition of the number 12, which clearly evokes the memory of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And we are meant to see in Jesus and the 12 disciples the renewal of Israel's mission as he sends his disciples on mission. One commentator puts it this way, that the 12 apostles are the nucleus of the new Israel that is being formed. So such is the significance of the number 12. So the 12 disciples carried the good news, the message of the renewal of that mission of Jesus, and demonstrated this gospel through their deeds. What did they do? They healed, they cast out demons, and they set the oppressed free. This was a renewal of the mission that God had in mind from the first pages of the Bible. It's really not something new, but something that God always had in his heart and in his mind to do, and that is to restore everything back to himself. But you know what? Above all, what Jesus wanted his disciples to learn was utter dependency on him for everything and to rely on God's enablement in their first missionary adventure. Luke chapter 9, verses 3 to 4, he says, he told them, this is Jesus telling his disciples before he sent them out, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, 
total dependency on God, not even an extra, uh, an extra shirt. I don't know if I would have survived. But imagine being sent out on a long journey and you're asked not to pack anything. And the reason for this is because Jesus wants them to learn dependence on God for everything. And because they had no access to personal resources, they had to now step out in trust. They had to step out in faith that God is actually going to go before them and that he is going to provide for their every need and that God is empowering them with Jesus' delegated authority to go on this mission to expand that kingdom. So you know what? The 12 came back. They were successful in their first short-term missionary trip. They returned with so much excitement, but they were also exhausted. Can you imagine? They were going from village to village, and when the Bible says that, it actually meant they walked from place to place. They didn't Uber to go there. They needed a rest. They needed a break from the multitudes in order to recharge. So at the end of this short mission trip in verse 10, they clearly needed a break. So Mark's gospel accounts, he said, so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. So Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. They didn't even have a chance to eat, plus the exhaustion but you know what? Jesus knew all that that they had to go through. So what he wanted to do was he wanted to take them away for some time alone, away from the demands of the multitudes to rest and to be alone with him. So they set sail towards a remote place, hoping to discourage the crowds from following them. So this is the context of our text this morning. Amidst physical exhaustion and emotional highs and lows, we're going to look at four things about Jesus. His compassion, his command, his provision, and his sufficiency. So Jesus decided that it was time to take them on a retreat. So he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Bethsaida was this small fishing village that sat on a hillside uh, on the northeastern end of, the, of Galilee. It's this very quiet, remote, out-of-the-way kind of place, kind of like the wilderness. And this is the spot that Jesus picked to take his disciples to be alone with him in order to rest and recuperate from that um, exhausting missionary trip. You know what? When, as they were about to leave, the crowd saw them leaving and immediately calculated, calculated where their boat was going to land. So they ran ahead to that, uh, to that location. And by the time their boat landed, the shore was literally already crowded with people waiting. The same crowd of people that they were trying to get away from, they were already there waiting for them, and their time of rest ended before it even began. Mark um, 6, verse 33, verse 34 says, Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So you know what he began to do? He began teaching them many things. Instead of being annoyed at the crowds who cut short his vacation, Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without shepherds. So he began teaching them. And for me, me, when I look at this verse, it's like teaching is an act of compassion. It is a ministry of compassion as exemplified by Jesus. He doesn't just minister out of duty, out of obligation, or out of habit, but out of a heart of compassion. His deeds, if you've noticed everything that Jesus did, always came from a heart of compassion. And even though at this time he was grieving his cousins, John's death, and his disciples were tired and they needed a rest, Jesus remained compassionate and gracious to the crowd. He saw the needs of the crowds that were like sheep without a shepherd. And the first thing he did was he ministered to them. You know why? He is our compassionate Lord. Now, the Gospel of John tells us why the crowds followed him. It says they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They saw what he was capable of. They saw what he could do. And John MacArthur says this, that they were thrill seekers. The crowds, they were thrill seekers who eagerly followed Jesus as their king because he could provide healing and and hand out free food. The crowds wanted to be around Jesus and follow him because of what they could get out of him. Free health care and free food. I wonder, as the elections are coming up, which politician is actually going to offer me this. Uh, As soon as someone says free food, I'm there. But Jesus was offering free health care and free food. And that's why the crowds were following him. But you know what? Jesus knew their motives. He wasn't naive, but he still welcomed them, even though he knew he was being used for selfish reasons. He didn't ask them for anything in exchange for what he could do for them because he's our compassionate Lord. You know, the crowds learned about it. They followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Now, the word welcomed, I looked it up in the Greek. It means to receive someone favorably. So when you say welcome, it means I'm receiving you favorably. And that's what Jesus did when he saw the crowds. Jesus welcomed them. He received them favorably. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And those who needed healing, he healed. There was no question. The message translation said he was gracious. So he was kind and he welcomed this demanding crowd favorably from a heart of compassion. Isn't that lovely? That is the way of our compassionate Lord. So John, in his gospel and his account of the feeding of the 5,000, explains that Jesus went to a mountainside and sat down there with his disciples and the crowd. And for hours, I don't mean 30 minutes, I'm only going to talk to you for less than an hour. But Jesus sat on the mountainside and he taught for hours and hours. And he healed in this remote place. And as the day began to wear out, it was getting late. 
You know, the disciples were there and were thinking, well, I thought we were here to rest. But here they are. They're standing there beside Jesus hours and hours. It was getting late. So you know what they decided to do? They decided to go to Jesus and tell him what he should do next. Imagine that. Send the crowd away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodgings and get provisions for you know why? We are here in a remote place. It's kind of like uh, the wilderness. We're in a remote place. Send them away. It's getting dark. You need to send them home, Jesus. So they were telling Jesus what to, what to do. Now, the word ver, uh, send there in the Greek, if you're a, a grammar nerd, is written in the imperative form, which means it's a command. They weren't asking for a suggestion. They weren't questioning Jesus. They were telling him what to do. And they commanded Jesus to send the crowd away. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And also, it's in the imperative form with the emphasis on the word you. Send them away, but you give them something to eat, putting the responsibility back on the twelve. Now, I want you to remember that the 12 just recently returned from their short-term missionary trip, remember? And they had experienced God's provision for their every need. And now they're faced with this new situation, kind of like what they faced before, but they had already forgotten how God had provided for them in the past. And they responded, um, uh, Jesus, we don't have the means to feed this crowd we only have five loaves and two fish. Hello? So this is how they, re they responded. Their reply was focused on what they had rather than focusing and recognizing on who was standing in front of them, Jesus. It's true. They're faced with yet another need, provision for 5,000 men. So the disciples tell Jesus that it's getting late and these people need to get food and lodging. And their solution was to send the crowd away, send them away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and get provisions for themselves and feed themselves. But Jesus said to them that they, the disciples, have to give them something to eat. Actually, they were proposing a very practical solution. But Jesus gave them the responsibility to feed the crowds, not to send them away. Instead, they answered, we only have five loaves and two fish unless we can go to the grocery store and buy something for them to eat. They come up with yet another practical idea. But the trouble with that answer is that they did not think about what God could do to provide for the needs of the crowd. Their minds only provided a natural solution to an impossible situation and never rose beyond that. Five loaves to fish, send them to the grocery store. It never ascended beyond that. But you know what Jesus wanted them to do? Jesus wanted them to think supernaturally, the way they had to think and rely on the provision and enabling power of God when they were first sent out 
on their first missionary trip. In Luke 9, verses 1 to 10, Jesus wanted them to remember what they experienced when God provided for them. And he wanted them to think beyond the practical solutions that they were offering Jesus and to think supernaturally about how God could provide for this situation. Jesus wanted the 12 disciples to apply what they had just recently learned and translate that knowledge into this current situation, applying the same principle of dependency by saying, you give them something to eat. Now, in John chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus actually, before this conversation, if you look at the account of the Gospel of John, He had already anticipated this conversation with his disciples. When he saw the crowd, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people? He asked this, this is what John said in his gospel. He asked this only to test, test Philip, for he had already in his mind, this is Jesus, he already had in his mind what he was going to do. See, Jesus was like a thousand steps ahead of his disciples, and he really wasn't caught by surprise. Now, what's interesting about that verse from John is that the feeding of the 5,000 was described as a test. Obviously, it wasn't a test for the crowds, but for the disciples. You see, they had a very important lesson that they must learn which they actually already should have learned when they were first sent out. They should have learned this lesson, but they needed a repeat. They must be driven to realize the utter inadequacy of their own resources, which was what? Five loaves and two fish. This is utter inadequacy. And in Mark's and John's account, we hear the disciples protest. They said, you want us to feed them? That would take thousands of dollars. I'm just um, contextualizing it. Thousands of dollars. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? They come up with another natural solution, another natural thinking. This is how much it's going to cost. You see, Philip's mind, one of the disciples, calculated in his mind the cost of the project. He already had a spreadsheet with a budget in his mind. And he quickly calculated how many man hours in terms of work, in terms of wages and salary, it would take to feed all those people. And his conclusion was um, was that it would take far more than eight months' worth of of, uh, wages to feed this crowd. He began to estimate, based on their inadequate resources, a possible solution that really couldn't solve the problem because he saw the task as impossible. Therefore, he approached it financially. I don't have anything against accountants, but Philip approached this project financially. In the natural realm, he approached this thinking in the natural realm as if the solution that God was going to provide depended on man's work, depended on man's ability and their resources without including God in the formula. But Jesus' approach was different. Jesus bypassed all these human efforts and did the impossible because Jesus operated in the supernatural. That's how Jesus thinks. 
Now, one commentator I read remarks that Jesus' question about their resources ought to have startled them into thinking that there might be more about this kingdom of God and the powers of Jesus than they realized. That ought to have made them think supernaturally, but they still kept themselves in the natural realm. Instead of thinking supernaturally to solve a seemingly impossible problem, their highest thoughts could rise no higher than the possibility of going to the nearest grocery store and buying the necessary quantity of food. Because you see, Philip was thinking in the natural realm, in the flesh. But Jesus pushes the disciples even further. The Gospel of Mark, if you record his account of this miracle, records his question. Now that they were talking about budget and finances, Jesus decided to go that direction. So he said, okay, so how many loaves do you have? Go and see. You don't have thousands of dollars to buy enough food, uh, enough groceries to feed the crowd. But what do you have? Tell me. Check your resources and tell me what you do have. Jesus was going to make them realize the inadequacy of what they have, and hopefully they turn to him uh, to him for the solution. But here again, they answered again in the natural realm. Um, Andrew said, but here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? They kept thinking in the natural realm. The disciples knew that this wasn't enough food, but they brought them to Jesus anyway. Even, they knew, even if they already knew that this was an inadequate supply, they brought it to Jesus anyway, and they laid it at his feet. You see, Jesus wanted an exact count of what they have, which was clearly inadequate to begin with. Jesus already knew what they had, the disciples answered, we have five loaves and two fish unless we go to the store and buy food for all this crowd, like they didn't get it. And Jesus said to them, after they brought what they had to Jesus, give them to me. Give me your inadequate resources. Until the disciples were willing to commit and report what they do have, Jesus waits before he begins the miracle. Their contribution and commitment was part of the solution that Jesus had in his mind. However tiny and inadequate it was, he welcomed the disciples to bring their inadequacy, their inadequate resources to him. So the 12 disciples thought and solved the issue in the natural realm when the resources of the heavenly realms were available to them. The 12 were forgetting that they serve a God who provided for their inadequacies and their need. And they served a God who enabled them to be victorious even in the supernatural realm. But they forgot all this. This was the lesson that Jesus wanted to drum into them when he sent them out on their first missionary journey. And this was a very recent lesson that they've already forgotten coming into the feeding of the 5,000, they completely forgot what Jesus did through them when they were sent out on their first trip. 
But you see, the five loaves and the two fish did not limit Jesus. You know why? Say why. He owns the cattle on the thousand hills. And let me put it even further. He made the cattle and the hills. So this did not limit Jesus. So observe the provision of Jesus. Luke noted that there were about 5,000 men. Matthew notes in his gospel, all those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That means 5,000 is the number of men. If we were to calculate women and children too, that could be roughly 25,000 people in attendance that day. Jesus said to his disciples after they brought the five loaves and two fish to him, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. They had them all sit down orderly, and there could be as many as 500 groups that day sitting orderly. Now, I want you to think as they're sitting orderly in groups of 50 in the wilderness, in the remote place of Bethsaida, there were familiar scenes, similar scenes that evoked in their minds and in their memory concerning the history of Israel. In Exodus 6, in Exodus 16, God fed the Israelites in the wilderness through his servant Moses. God provided them with a different menu. The menu was manna and quail. And the people ate. They were satisfied even though there was no natural source of food. There were no grocery stores, but they were provided abundantly with manna and quail. God was able to abundantly provide for their needs supernaturally for his people in the wilderness. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, another incident that happened, which is very similar, this is the story about Elisha. He had to feed a hundred men, a hundred men, with a few barley loaves and ears of, of grain. The crowd of a hundred men that day ate their fill and even had some food left over. However, you can say, well, that's kind of similar to this. The feeding of the 5,000 shows us that Jesus is not just like Moses. He's not just like Elijah or Elijah. He's not just any other prophet in the same rank and status as these Old Testament prophets. By an act of his creative power, Jesus revealed proof of his deity to thousands of people that day as the creator. Then you know what he did? He took the five loaves and the two, uh, the two fish, the meager resources of five loaves and two fish that the disciples brought to Jesus. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then Jesus broke the loaves and gave them to disciples to set before the crowd. The Greek word for he gave it to his disciples, it sounds like it's a one-time event, but actually if you look it up, it's a continuous um, event that happened in the past. It was a continuous action that happened in the past. So I'd like to say that, uh, that he, Jesus kept on giving. That's a better translation to his disciples. So as soon as Jesus broke the loaves and the fish, the disciples each got a massive handful of loaves and fish from Jesus. Then they rushed to the group that they were responsible for, handed out the food, and when their, um, their supply that they gave out ran out, they rushed back to Jesus 
for more food. And every time they went back to Jesus for more food to give out to the crowds, Jesus always gave them more to replenish what they gave out. And there was no shortage. Amen. There was no shortage. Now, one commentator that I read said, the pieces grew under his touch, and the disciples always found his hands full when they came back to Jesus with their own hands empty. There was no shortage. As soon as they ran out, they ran back to Jesus, and Jesus replenished what they were able to supply that crowd that day. Now, this miracle demonstrated that Jesus is able to create food. He is the creator this was a miracle of creation. So he was like revealing himself in a different way to the people that day that he is the creator God. He can do that because he's fully God and fully human. Jesus displayed his full authority over creation. But I want you to notice something. He could have done this without the disciples. Yet he insisted on doing this miracle through the hands of the disciples, using the meager resources that they could offer him. He insisted on doing this miracle through the hands of the disciples. Jesus could have caused the manna and quail to rain down, like how he fed the Israelites when they were in the wilderness under Moses. I mean, that's a great way of feeding this crowd. He could have sent ravens to fed them the way Elijah was fed. And you know what? He could have sent angels to feed the crowd, but he wanted to use the disciples. He wanted to feed the crowd in partnership with the disciples. He wanted the, the disciples to learn and experience what partnership with Jesus looked like and never forget this tangible experience. He could have done a solo thing, but he insisted that the disciples partnered with Jesus. No one really knew where the bread actually came from, but Jesus showed that day that he can provide out of resources that we can't see or perceive in any way. It's easy to have faith when we think we know how God might provide but God often provides in unexpected and undiscoverable way. I bet you the disciples woke up that morning and never even imagined that this was how their day was going to end. Although Jesus performed this disciples, yes, with the disciples, the miracle happened in the hands of Jesus not in the hands of the disciples. The disciples simply distributed what Jesus had miraculously provided when they kept coming back to Jesus with empty hands after they've given away what was in their hands to begin with. If they had not given away what was placed in their hands, they would not have known that Jesus could replenish what they gave away. And finally, Luke said in verse 17, that they all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. They were even left over. And later after Jesus dismissed the crowd and the people began their long walk home, they were satisfied and full of wonder 
at who Jesus is. I wonder what their conversation must have sounded like when they ate this meal and they were on their way home. I wonder how excited their conversations were. So the disciples, after the crowds were sent home, obviously they were very, very tired now. But Jesus gives them one further task to do, to pick up the leftovers that were scattered over the hillside. And when their task was completed, they came back to Jesus and they had 12 baskets full of the leftover. There was one basket for each one of the disciples. They each had a doggy bag to take home with them. Jesus wanted each apostle or disciple to carry around a big heavy basket full of this leftover bread and fish to remind them in a very dramatic and vivid way of the abundance. It wasn't meager, the abundance of his provision. God's provision that day was not merely adequate. It wasn't, okay, I'll just eat like a piece of toast or something just to keep the hanger pangs away. But it was more than enough, more than enough to meet the needs of the crowd. It was abundant. This meal, this abundant meal, also foreshadows the banquet meal that we will share with him one day in the heavenly realms. It will be an abundant and satisfying meal. It's going to be the ultimate Thanksgiving banquet meal that he will lay before us to enjoy and feast with him. There's nothing meager about the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus fed the crowd that day through the agency of his disciples. He could have just, you know, snapped his fingers and cost everyone present to have a meal. That would have been efficient, but he didn't. He, instead, he gave thanks, he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He continuously gave them to his disciples so that they could go back and distribute it to the hungry crowd. And you know what? In this way, the disciples again had to trust the Lord for everything they distributed. They had to trust that when their, their resources, their supply was empty, that they could actually go back to Jesus and he, and he would replenish what they had given away. They could only give as they received from Jesus. Nobody had a secret stash that they could draw out from. The 12 disciples were put in a position of total dependence upon the Lord for the supply that they could give away. I believe this miracle was mainly for the disciples' benefit and ours as well today. Jesus could have created food at the snap of his fingers. He didn't need five loaves and two fish to create food, but they and we today, we need to learn the magnitude of who Jesus is and what happens when we lay our meager resources. I like how Corey said it, when we lay before Jesus our, this isn't much, resources down at his feet. You know what happens when we give the little that we can give back to Jesus? He multiplies it and the crowd can, can replenish themselves abundantly. Jesus wants to teach us more than dependence on him for our physical provision. He wants us to know that he is the source of life and every need in the natural and supernatural 
realm. John chapter 6, verse 35 said, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is our source of provision. He is the source of our supernatural victory in the heavenly realms. We are not orphans. We are the sons and daughters of God who gives abundantly to his children. And you know what? God doesn't really need our resources. But you know what he does? He gives us the privilege and the blessing to be involved in his service when we serve others through him and with him. Jesus actually orchestrated the opportunity so that 12 could serve as a, as a team. They could serve together as a team and rely on Jesus together. Now today, Jesus provides us many opportunities to serve together in his church that we might experience the same blessing. It's really more for our sake. It's not because he lacks volunteers, but he wants us to serve together under Jesus so that we might experience that blessing. Um, if any of the disciples, let's just say, if any of the, the disciples that day chose to opt out that day because they were too busy to do other things, and maybe they just, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm, I'm just going to take a nap. I'm just going to pass on this opportunity. They would have missed out on that incredible experience and blessing. The disciples had a responsibility to give to the people what Christ had given them, not to hold on. And so likewise, when we receive what God gives to us, we are to faithfully share with others, not hoard his gifts for ourselves. And that's when we experience the miracle for, us, for ourselves. When we give out what Jesus placed in our hands, that's when we experience the miracle. He provides opportunities to serve him and the resources to fulfill our calling. But, above, but of all the things that we need to remember and never forget... The most important is the provision of eternal life that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the cross, as he is offered in the gospel. Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 10 says, I have come that they, that's we, that we may have life and have it to the full. So trans, some translation says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So I pray on this Thanksgiving day as we list out the many things that we are thankful for that we would remember that Jesus is the bread of life and may we never forget this. Amen.